back together again on a Saturday morning. Good morning to you. Seven minutes after six o'clock. Ashley Frasca here to host Green and Growing. I love doing this on Saturday mornings, especially weekend mornings when the weather is going to be nice because that really motivates you to get outside. It inspires you to spend time outdoors, whether or not you're planting. I had a great day of planting yesterday. Oh my gosh, I'm behind the eight ball as far as when I started my seedlings for all my summer vegetables. I started them maybe about four weeks late. So hence, I am three or four weeks later than most of you putting uh, tomato plants and pepper plants into the ground. And some of the the biggest joy of my week this past week was sharing those tomato plants with coworkers um, because I have like 30 tomato seedlings now and don't know what to do with them. I planted six in my own garden and two of those are on the back deck in pots so I can keep a little bit better eye on them. But so what am I going to do with the other 24? So I've been bringing them to work and that really was a fun back and forth with a lot of you on social media, um, on the Green and Growing WSB Facebook page, the fact that I challenged my coworkers into this little friendly gardening competition. So I'm giving you a tomato. The, the least you could do is try to actually get it to produce, right, and give it some TLC. So uh, Judd Hickenbotham of Atlanta's Morning News, Tad Lemire from B98.5, the Tad and Drex Morning Show, Chris Camp, who is our news director here on WSB, and of course Mark Aram, my traffic colleague, those guys got conned into a tomato growing competition. So check out the Facebook page. Some of the comments were hilarious as to who many of you think is going to win. More of you are certain who is going to lose. Um, but I love that. You got to make gardening gardening a little friendly and a little fun. Add some pep in your step. So whatever you're doing this weekend, I want to know, and I'm here to help. We've gotten a lot of great questions on social media. I've had some sent to me on Twitter as well. So I'll be sharing some of those folks' observations with you because I know a lot of you are starting to see the same things as one another. So I can kind of give you some guidance and give you some answers. But to start off the show, I want to take you on a little field trip. And I like doing that every few months. Uh, Last year, the first year of the show, I was able to visit with a 15-year-old gardener who is obsessed with houseplants, kind of took you through that experience, took you into Pike Nurseries and interviewed young and old customers and just the enthusiasm of the folks shopping there. I'm an edible food forest right here in the city of Atlanta, is up next. I need to make a few more trips there myself before that piece is really ready. But the latest one, just a few weeks ago, I traveled down to Serenby. And I'm going to let you hear a little bit more and take you on just a relaxing visit outside of Metro Atlanta. And if you're not familiar, welcome to Serenby. Serenby is just to the southwest of Atlanta. It's a neighborhood, a community full of fresh food and fresh air. And it's set among acres of preserved forests and meadows with miles of nature trails. At the farm last month, I met up with farmer Ian and Virginia. They manage the 12-acre farm, which will eventually reach its potential of 25 acres. Virginia, for people starting their own gardens and they maybe haven't had success for a year or two, problems with drainage. Y'all experienced that here when you began. So how did you fix that? It took a couple of years, but what did you figure out worked? Bed alignment is really important. You need to see where the water is going and work with it instead of against it. So if you have water coming off of the road, make sure that your rows are perpendicular so that they can go between the rows. Also, we are a no-till farm or a light-till farm, and so letting that soil build up and building those pathways in the soil has been really good for water retention. We don't even really need the frames of a raised bed or anything out here. You just work with the slope and with the land. Correct. That's exactly what we do. What have you brought in to improve the soil above ground since it's light-till? 
Lots of wood chips um, because Serum B is still being developed. Um, they are cutting down some trees, but those trees are being used in our walkways and that really helps us kind of build up the fungal matter and the bacteria to help with water retention. Ian, so here we are at the end of April at Serenby Farms, and it is kind of a period of transition. So explain to folks how you're determining which beds were your cool season crops, and then how you're going to determine what warm season crop you plant there. Okay, so the first thing we take into consideration is our December planning. So everything that we plan for the entire year is planned out during the month of December. So that has to do with our crop rotation. Is the plant a heavy feeder? Is it a light feeder? How does the irrigation play into what we're growing in those different areas? Um, but currently what we're looking at is our kale, which is going to be followed by uh, our squash and zucchini. Um, kale is a long-term crop. Uh, squash and zucchini is pretty quick, although they are a little bit of a heavy feeder initially. Uh, they're a really quick crop for us. What do you suggest people do as far as rotating crops like that? I say try to get on a four-year crop rotation if you can. We're currently on a five to six-year crop rotation, but when we expand the farm to our full potential, we'll actually be on a 10-year crop rotation. And you don't grow your own vegetables? Well, that's okay. Ian and Virginia introduced me to CSA's Community Supported Agriculture, and that's important to Serenby Farm survival, but it's not just for their residents. The community will buy a farm share at the beginning of the year, and that literally gives us our seed money to plant seeds throughout the year. And then every Tuesday, they'll come by and pick up their bag of veggies. It's typically between six and seven different veggies, and it's a 30-week program. And what are some of the things that we might be seeing that are on their way to producing here soon? Our Primark Freedom Blackberries starting to come out. We have turnips, leeks, arugula, radishes, beets, carrots, squash, zucchini, snow peas, broccoli, cut lettuce, uh, head lettuce, and we're getting ready to plant about 80 fruit trees. Is your mouth watering yet? Well, there's hope for us gardeners that want to do things like they do at Serenby. Everything's grown organically, and Ian has some brilliance about that. Yes, so I always say that when you do have a problem with your pests or your plants in general, is I say you always start with observation. So what do you see that's going on? A lot of times it's easy just to grab something to treat your plants for whatever pest that you have from you know aphids to leafhoppers to cabbage loopers but a lot of times if you can try to figure out what's going on with the plants themselves you know are they stressed out um, it could be that you're not watering enough it could be that you're overwatering. but I do find that in my farming career that plants that are stressed out tend to attract a lot more insect problems. And I don't know if it's because the insects can pick up on it, um, but uh, it all starts with your soil. And I think that if you have a really good base and a healthy soil, you produce a much healthier vegetable. And the vegetable tends to be able to just combat through the, the pest problem. Now, what are some of the products or mm -hmm. mixes or anything that you keep on hand that is organic, that's safe to use, that you guys really rely on? With leafy greens and things like that, we use a lot of agricultural cloth from different weights from an Ag 15, which basically means that it allows 85% light transmission. Uh, to Ag-19, which obviously would be 81% light transmission, to Ag-30, which is usually our overwintered one, which is a little bit heavier. Um, secondly, we use insecticidal soaps. Uh, that's kind of, I find to be the 
the least harmful to any of the beneficial insects that you're not trying to do too. You also want to take in consideration the time of day that you're spraying, right? So super early in the morning. So you're not getting any of the honeybees or the beneficial insects that you're, that, that you do not want to spray. And then we'll follow up with, uh, with a chrysanthemum oil, which works too as well. I mean, that's kind of our last line of defense. But for me, my first plan is always is the importance of the growing area. I'm okay with some holes. I'm okay with some imperfections. If I know the crop is still very fruitful and has a lot of great nutritional value to it, I would rather have that than to you know, impact the, the ecology of the growing area by killing something that I don't want to. And how do you provide natural nutrients to things? Using compost. That's something I learned a lot about from Ian and Virginia. Here at Serenby, we have our own compost initiative, and so the restaurants, as well as the community, uh, participates in composting. It's either brought to the farm by the porters, or they bring it themselves, and uh, we incorporate it into our farm. Now, how often is that tended to and looked after? We try to turn the pile once a month, which I know is not enough. We are actually working with our current volunteers within the community to build a rigid structure to have a better composting system. And there's horses nearby too. Uh, any yeah. any use for that? Yes, there is 30 horses that live in the community um, and we have in the past incorporated some of their animal waste. The way to keep compost is important. A lot of people don't want like a smelly bucket on their countertop, but I love just putting it in a Ziploc bag and putting it in the freezer. And I actually have a two-step system, which is all the vegetable remnants that I can make stock out of. I put that in the freezer, then make the stock, then it goes in the compost bucket. How often, from this Ziploc bag or maybe a container with a lid from the kitchen, how often do you bring things out or how long do you let them set? I typically bring my compost bag from the farm every week. That's how long it takes to fill up because I do eat a lot of vegetables from the farm. But it's a great circular system where I take vegetables from the farm, I take them home, I eat them, the remnants, put that in the compost bag, bring it back, and then next year will be compost for the next year's kale plants. When in doubt, compost it. What would make good compost for stuff we have at home, in our own yards, and our own homes? Yep. So I traditionally like to compost anything that's not processed, personally. I don't necessarily compost lasagna, but you probably could if you wanted to. But for me, it's mostly just vegetable waste, uh, leaf litter. You can use, you can compost things from your yard as long as they haven't gone to flower, or there's a lot of flower heads set. And if you have any question of that, then don't even, I would not even mess with it. Because the last thing you want to do is spread more they're really not weeds. One had one person tell me they're misunderstood plants. <laughs> and now I'm looking at logs that are just stacked up almost teepee-like against one another with black holes in them, and they're shiitake logs. They're basically logs that have shiitake mushroom mycelium inoculated into the, basically the core of the log. Um, they're all hardwood. It takes about a year to get production out of them, but we, uh, you want to harvest your, your trees. Uh, you can only do it twice a year. You want to do it early in the spring before they leaf out and then late in the fall after they lose their leaves. The reason that you do that is because you want high water retention within the trees. Um, and unfortunately, yes, you do have to cut a tree down. Um, and we cut them into three, three to four foot lengths and they're about six inches in diameter. And we drill about, uh, I don't know, maybe about 100 holes on a diamond pattern. And then we inoculate them with a shiitake mycelium wooden dowels. We put beeswax over it and then we wait a year. Are they just going to stay in position where they are? Once they actually start yielding, they'll, you'll do something different with them? We basically just keep them where they are and then, and then when they naturally start to pin is when they start to come out. 
we know that it's time for us to start manipulating the logs and then we'll take about uh, 15 or 16 logs at a time and we dunk them in a big water container overnight and then that forces them to send out their mushrooms. So if you're ever down Chattahoochee Hills Way, stop by Serenby Farms. They harvest over 60,000 pounds of produce a year and proud to be one of the first of only 103 certified organic farms in the state of Georgia. My thanks to Ian and Virginia for teaching me so much. Excited to see where my next garden adventures take me. So many interesting folks and interesting, fascinating things happening around our great state of Georgia. You're listening to Green and Growing right here on Saturday mornings, 95.5 WSB. You want to make sure you plan ahead for your weekend properly? Well, I'm here for some good news, along with uh, WSB meteorologist Kirk Mellish. Today, mostly sunny skies and a high of 77. Lows only getting down to 56. And right now, it's about 52. It is a little chilly. Tomorrow and Monday, partly cloudy. Highs around 80 degrees and lows around 60. Green and Growing! Green and Growing with Ashley Frasca. Here's your garden to-do list this week. And the weather update brought to you by Finley Roofing. The top three list, that's brought to you by me. So I put this together every week just to make gardening a little less overwhelming. Sometimes, you know, at certain times of year, you wonder, what should I be doing? When do I prune this? When do I plant that? So that's the purpose of this. So number one, you can plant tropical vines at your mailboxes for bright flowers all summer long. You don't even have to worry about it. Try climbing Mandevilla. Clematis, you see a lot of that now, or bougainvillea. If you've ever been to Florida, you know what bougainvillea is so pretty. Um, and we're going to be talking about tropical plants throughout the show and a tropical garden with Pike Nursery coming up at 830. Stay tuned for that if you're interested. Number two, it's time to plant all summer vegetables. So I did my tomatoes yesterday. you got okra. You've got sweet potato, peanuts, watermelon, black-eyed peas, butter beans, so much more. Get all of that in the ground so it has time to come to fruition and you get the harvest before it gets cold in the early fall. And number three, prune early flowering azaleas now that they have finished blooming. It's sad but true. They're starting to fade a little bit. So remove tall sprouts down at the base of the plant, like taller limbs, and in, those are inside the shrub, and leafless limbs from shade trees. If you've got some trees and they just have not leafed out by now, I don't think they're going to. So you can carefully do that as well. All right, coming up at the bottom of the hour, in less than 10 minutes, Walter Reeves with Walter Wonders. Staying with that tropical theme, we'll be talking about how you can create and grow, rather, your own pineapple. Stay tuned. It's green and growing here on WSB. going to be a beautiful weekend. I'm so glad you have tuned it right here to 95.5 WSB and Green and Growing here until 9 o'clock. And believe it or not, one of the hardest working men in radio, because he hosts a show one day a week, Dave Baker, he's already here for his 9 o'clock show. He is that anxious to get on the air with you guys. But I say, no, no, this is my studio until 9. You back off. So anyways, taking calls in just a few minutes, 404 Eight seven two zero seven fifty. Can't wait to hear what you're doing in your garden. And I know so many of you are out there listening. I appreciate it. Even if you don't call and you're just sitting back with a cup of coffee on a Saturday morning, I'm glad you're there. And friends of the show are out there listening as well. Joe Lample, good morning. Mickey Gazaway, good morning to you. Maybe Walter Reeves is listening. As a matter of fact, he is. He's on hold right now. You know, we do this at the same time 
every Saturday morning. We're going to learn a little something about pineapples with Walter Reeves. Walter's Wondering. Walter's Wondering. The definitive questions and answers from WSB's OG garden guru, Walter Reeves. All right. So even though he doesn't still host a radio show, Walter Reeves is a very busy man, still puts out the newsletter on WSB, maintains the website, WalterReeves.com. And many of you still reach out to him with great garden questions, looking for garden advice. Walter, good morning. Hey, Ashley, good morning. So this is kind of a selfish segment, Walter wonders, because I get to ask (laughs) you for advice. But we talk about topics that are, you know, applicable and interesting to everyone. But you recently had a question from someone that you thought was very interesting, and it might benefit others to hear the answer. A lady wanted to know if she could grow pineapple outdoors in Georgia. And I said, eh, probably not, because it's only hard to zone, I think, nine or something like that for pineapples to survive the cold. But I told her there are really easy ways to grow a pineapple in a pot that you could bring indoors in the wintertime. And I wanted to sort of cover that with you this morning, actually. It's so easy to do. Anybody can do it, and kids can do it. It's all summertime, and, you know, kids can get out and do this with a pineapple and have a, maybe, someday, have a pineapple to eat. They grew. I love that. And my mother-in-law, she just recently gave me the second pineapple um, plant. The first one, I believe, I probably killed because I left it out when it was a little Uh too cold. But um, yeah, how she did it in the process and how she potted it up was pretty interesting. And I haven't moved it outside yet, but I need to. It's in a large pot. It can go on the back deck and get a lot of sun. But tell us how easy it is that we start at the grocery store and then we can maybe end up with another (laughs) pineapple. Start there, eat the pineapple. But, but I guess before you eat the pineapple, you slice off the top, maybe the top half inch or so of flesh and the very top part of the pineapple itself that have all those spiky leaves, you know. And once you've uh, sliced off the top, then this is something a lot of people don't know. You should actually peel off all the flesh and the lower two, three, four, maybe sets of leaves of the stem. Oh. The reason you do that is because underneath each leaf is a little proboreal rootlet. And you want to expose the roots to the soil that you plant the pineapple in. So you peel off the inside, peel off all the leftover pineapple um, bulbs, or you call the pineapple thing, and then peel off some of the leaves, so the roots from the leaves at the bottom of the stem, and then stick that into a pot that has real sort of sandy soil, and it could be potty soil you make some sand with, or just cactus soil you have around the house, or something like that. And you just put it in there. And the way you water pineapple is not on the soil. You water it in the middle, in the cup, in the center where all the leaves are. Why is that? So you pour water in there. Huh? Why? Why do you water it differently? That's the way it likes. <laughs> I don't know. That's the way it likes. Someone it's somewhere along the line asked it. Say, what is your preference? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you put water in the middle of the plant, and it somehow disperses it correctly around the roots. And after, gosh, three weeks or so, if you tug there in a little bit, you'll find that the rootlets have started growing and you have roots into the pot. And then you can fertilize it, you can put it outside gradually so the sun doesn't scald it. And by the end of the summer, good gosh, this is getting big. They'll be two feet across easily, maybe two feet high. Fertilize water, fertilize water. And then when it gets cold in the wintertime, take it inside so it doesn't freeze. And next spring, bring it back outside, and same thing, fertilize water, fertilize water. By midsummer, you might have a pineapple. So it will not be within the first year? No, I don't think so. And will I see the It'll pineapple? It'll take a little stalk up to the middle. A little stalk in the middle, and the pineapple will grow from that. 
Yeah, that's what I was going to ask. Is it is it going to be underground like a potato, or is it going to grow from the top of the plant? Yeah, from the middle of the top of the plant. That's what the flower is. That's what a pineapple fruit really is. It's a flowering part of the pineapple plant. Oh, you know something? Charlie Christian, bless his soul. One of my master gardeners, Charlie Christian, wrote a great, great instructional thing on how to grow pineapples at home. And if you go to my website at walterreeves.com, you just set the word pineapple in there. And Charlie's instruction thing is so good that you should really download that as the written-down directions on how to grow a pineapple. He was so good about writing it for me. Fun to do with the kids. Like you said, it just you really got to stay yeah. on top of bringing it in when it gets cold, and it could use a lot of sun, a lot of energy. Um, and something else that's easy to share like that, Walter, too, that I've had success with and I've kept for many years, an aloe plant. Yeah, sure. That's sort of spiking, sort of pointed leaves on them. So I wanted to mention if you bring the plant bring the pineapple in, those leaves are really sharp. And so I'd say a scissor sometimes scissors off the ends, and that's not a bad idea of any of those spiky plants you work around in the garden, like uh, yucca, uh, agave, things like that. Just scissor off the tips of the leaves. They don't poke you because you will certainly have bad word. Woo, those are sharp. Agave, yeah, that's like uh, how they make the tequila, that plant. You're not supposed to know that. Wow, well, yes, come on. <laughs> I attend Taco Tuesday every Tuesday. I know about oh, agave. <laughs> oh, you do know. Okay. So those yeah, plants are pretty. Yeah, they are spiky. They're kind of like a pale green, almost bluish, right? Yeah, yeah. Wow, and yuccas. Right. So I have the hardest time identifying yuccas in folks' uh, yards when I first started this show. I don't know why. I just always wanted to think that it was something else, but uh, a yucca is a pretty good, you know, plant to have in the landscape in a bed that you don't need to really be around a lot. But what does that look like? Uh, spiky leaves, and you'll never get rid of it. I have one outside. Actually, I had how many times I tried to kill the darn thing? Three times at Whoa. least. One time I did it on TV and said, now it's all dead. It'll never come back again. No, three bobs. Six months later, there's my <laughs> yucca plant coming back again from the roots. Now, does it so, spread and get bigger, or it's just the same plant? It does spread slightly. It gets bigger, certainly, as it, <clears throat> as it grows. This one, as I cut it down, had little pieces of roots left to the ground. that were three inches long, maybe. And they all sprouted. became a new plant out there. So be careful. It will stay with you for a long time if you have a yucca plant in the yard. As you say, don't put it in a place where you were working around. I should never get rid of it, and you'll get poked, too. I think a neighbor of mine strategically put two close to the street because he didn't want dogs going to the bathroom in his yeah. yard. I think that was well, pretty keeps strategic. The, keeps the dogs away, keeps burglars away, everybody away. Now, something else that's prickly that we want to stay away from, but I'm wondering how easy it is to share a prickly pear cactus. It's not hard to share a prickly pear. Sometimes it's spread out at the bottom. You can go up and seed, too, to the little care things that grow at the top of them. Um, but you break off a, a leaf, something like you do with a jade plant. You know how you break off a leaf with a jade plant, stick it in soil. Mm-hmm. And you can break off a little small leaf of a friction pear cactus when it's just emerging off the bigger, bigger part of the plant and stick that in the soil. And many times it'll root just fine for you. Like straight sand or soil? What do we put yeah. it in? Yeah, I put a little sand, a little soil, a little sand. Fishy fishy's about right, I guess. So when you say leaf, too, it's almost like depending on what size you get it at, it's almost like a paddle, really, isn't it? Yeah, it has a static plant. What's the name? Clay or something like that. Let's call it leaf. It's a paddle. That's a good word. Yeah, there's a little paddle. When it's about three inches long, it can be snapped off of the 
the main paddler sucking the ground to root. So Mickey Gasway and I were recently riding around together, and we saw one. It was a driveway I had to turn around in, um, but there was a prickly pear cactus, pretty large, uh, beside the driveway. But I saw, like, faded purple something on it. Does it flower, and is that what I saw was maybe the flower Oh, fading? yeah, it could be the little, little pears, pear-shaped thing, edible, very edible. It was the Mexican grocery store frequently to, you know, just buy them and eat them. And uh, in the desert, or like I said, the desert southwest, where they have a lot of cactus out in the fields there, the farmers will go around with blowtorches and blow the, will heat these spines and burn them oh. off. And the cows eat the darn things. I cannot imagine that. But cows eat prickly pear cactus once they burn the spines off of them. Wow, Ooh, really? Not me. No, uh-uh, that would hurt. You know what? Shadow will pick up um, the darn sweet gums. The drop onto the deck. She'll put that in her mouth and just chew on it. And I think, is that not poking the roof of your mouth? Doesn't that hurt? This is the same dog that was eating the uh, carpenter bees earlier this year. (laughs) Yes, I put a funny video on the Facebook page about her trying to snap. And, you know, everyone thought, well, what is she going to do when she catches it? I don't want to find out. (laughs) (laughs) So, well, awesome. Those are some really good plant ideas that are different, that are unique, that are a little painful. Uh, but depends on the setting that you want them in. So tell folks again where to go, Walter, to find out if they do want to do that with the kids this summer. That's a great project to start your own yeah, pineapple go plant. To, go to my website, walterreese.com, and type one word, pineapple, in the search line. The page of being that uh, Charlie Christian wrote the directions on, you can download that, and they're really helpful, really nice printed out directions. That's great. Always have fun stuff to to talk about. We'll never run out of topics as gardeners. Things we're seeing, things we're curious about, and things we always make you want to try. You're like, I could try that. I could do that. That'd be fun. As long as things are green and growing outside, we'll Uh, always have something to talk about. I see what you did there. And not not brown and dying. Not around here. And and if it is brown and dying, that's okay. That's why you call. That's why we take calls (laughs) to help you to where it's not in that situation. Well, Walter, I always appreciate it. We'll catch up with you next week. See you soon, And up next, we're going to catch up with all of you. We've got some good calls. Gene, a question about camellias. And Nick, great questions, finding out more about apple trees and how to be successful with those. And Ben, questions about pruning shrubs. You know, it's the time of year to be uh, pretty active with a lot of those. So we'll make sure whether they're flowering or not. And your calls as well. 404-872-0750. Jump right into green and growing. We're going to take a break, check traffic and weather, and we'll be back. You're listening to WSB. Thank you, Scott. A good Saturday morning to you. Today, the weather update brought to you by Finley Roofing. You know it's going to be a nice day. Mostly sunny, high around 77 mild temperatures for today. Tomorrow, mostly sunny, highs around 80 and lows around 58. The complete weather update comes to you in less than 10 minutes during the news with Robin Walensky. So stay tuned for that 7 o'clock hour, opening it it up to just your calls, 404-872-0750. And up first right now, she's been on hold a while. Thank you, Jean from Bremen. Good morning. Good to have you. Good morning. I have two, well, I've got four trees, but two of my uh, camellia trees, they're... The leaves is covered with something white. It, they're not on the bottom of the leaves. They're on the top. I don't know what it is. I've never had this problem before, and I was wondering if you might know or what I could do. It could be T-scale. T-scale shows up now. I think it's when there's a little bit of 
humidity in the air and the temperatures are getting warmer. So T-scale shows up as white. Um, have you been able to wipe it off? You can wipe it off some when you reach up and pull it down. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's all over. They're big trees. Okay. Yeah, so that is these sucking insects that attach themselves to the underside of the leaves and they, you know, suck out the, the moisture and the juice of the leaves. So the key to controlling T-scale is to spray the backsides of all the leaves. That's where it's going to be most effective for you. Um, a horticultural oil, which most of us have on hand because that's so good for so many things, or neem oil. And, Gene, you want to spray the stems and the trunk as well. So if you get ahead of that early, you should be okay. Well, this is real. They're 10 or 12 foot Tall, the big tree. <laughs> That's gonna be tough to do. <laughs> and uh, but now I looked underneath. So I, was, I know scale get, has got under some of my stuff, but there's nothing on the bottom of the leaves. It's hmm. all on the tops. It's just gray. Yeah, I, I still think that's scale because they, they exhibit on the bottom and then as they're sucking the juice and everything out of the leaves, you see the effects on the top of the leaf as well because it's taking the color out of the leaf. And you also see some of what they left behind on the top, so that's why it looks kind of dirty. That's why it looks kind of gray. Um, so, ooh, spraying horticultural oil 10 or 12 feet in the air, it's going to be a little tricky. But I think that's probably going to be the best way to combat the scale gene. Um, also... Norm Mitleider, who you all have heard on the show, a, a certified aesthetic pruner. I've had him on talking about Japanese maples. He sent me a great message to remind some of you to also be on the lookout for leaf gall. Leaf gall is going to make its annual appearance now on camellias and azaleas as well, mostly on Sasanqua camellias, right? So those are the ones that we had flowers on like in October, November. No treatments available for leaf gall. If you start to see the leaves, they look swollen. I mean, they look puffed up and swollen, maybe a little neon. They don't have like a natural green color anymore. But you take those leaves off, throw them away before the gall matures and goes airborne. It can spread to the entire plant. A swollen leaf, maybe just portions of the leaf. Um, it's going to look just not right. It sticks out like a sore thumb. So, Gene, thanks for bringing that up about T-scale, leaf gall. Camellias are susceptible to some things. You're smart to keep an eye on them right now. All right, coming up, Nick and Conyers about apple trees. Ben with a question about pruning shrubs. And your calls all hour long, 7 o'clock hour, 404-872-0750. We'll be right back. You're listening to WSB. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.